I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Jason. Morning, everyone. And you are listening to Spaces Podcast Express. Thank you for coming back, everybody. This past Friday, I had a presentation on a new project that I'm working on, and the the space is actually kind of interesting. It's 21 feet wide. This this is a commercial project. 21 feet wide, 70, about 70 feet deep. Ooh, that's a tunnel. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's just under, uh, just under 1,500 square feet. What's the space itself? Uh, This is just a shell building right now, and what's going in there is sort of a community space, sort of like a small WeWork type facility. So what they want, program wise, what they wanted to include are a couple areas for training, um, try and do some private offices, some open office area. Um, What else? And lounge and kind of get that sort of cool WeWork type vibe in there. But you know, it's 21 feet. It's like the that's width tough. of a two-car garage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's 70 feet deep with okay. no windows on the side or the rear. Uh, For context, that's like three and a half deep garages. Yeah, basically. So one one two-car garage wide by three and a half. So just so you can kind of mentally picture that. That's yeah. a tunnel. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So uh, so that's what I was working with and. When you go through that process of working out a design for someone, uh, what I wanted to talk about today is that the 
the the way that you develop a, a design is you're working through this long process of all these different concepts and things and trying to address all these different issues of programs and how things relate to each other and how to maximize a one by three garage <laughs> space to work efficiently and feel open even though it's a narrow tunnel mm-hmm. um, so you're balancing all these things and trying to figure out you know, how you, how you work out that design and accomplish what they're looking for. Then you go through this process, develop design. I was able to come up with four different concepts, surprisingly, yeah. and uh, end up doing a presentation on Friday. And it is a nerve wracking experience going through that whole thing. And you lay your heart and soul out and what you think is good. Uh, you present to someone and they either shoot it down or they love it. And it's such a like roller coaster moment of when you're trying to present something to somebody. And we went through this a lot in school. So I guess it gets you kind of used to it, but, or they try to get you used to it, but it's, uh, There's nothing it's, like real world experience. In it's, that, it's not, yeah. it's nothing you get used to really is putting yeah. yourself out there and letting someone else judge your work and your quality of work. So you're trying to deliver this whole uh, presentation and just waiting for what they're going to say. <laughs> so wanted to talk a little bit about that, the thought of imposter syndrome and touch on, on the construction side, kind of how that experience relates. Well, I think, I think it's interesting. Like if you look at it from the concept of this, right? Like for one, you know, to your CEO, it's no different really than sales. You know, you're putting yourself out there and being willing to get shot down over and over and over again, right? It may be an issue with what you're doing, but most of the time it's just a perceived issue with what the customer wanted, even though they can't actually articulate what that is. And the main reason is it's been well documented. I, I don't have any studies to talk, but we probably researched it and put some stuff up, but about 95% of people do not have the ability to 3D model in their mind. Mm-hmm. They, they are unable to view something on paper in a 2D drawing and 3d it in their mind and come up with an actual design so the only way to actually do it which is great for people like yourself and you know in your field and then me that that has that ability they need us to go and say okay give me an idea Hmm. so because they can't they can't create it on their own the only thing they can really do is say no that's not what i want yeah (laughs) because they can't actually tell you what they want yeah You, you follow what i'm saying so it's almost impossible so it's almost like the the first interaction should be more of Hey, I have no idea what I want and I don't mean to like shred your stuff to all hell, mm-hmm. but the only way we're going to get there is for you to do something and then me to tweak it from there because I don't really know what I want yet. And you're going to help me do that. Yeah. So I think true. a lot of these interactions would be easier if we did that. But from your perspective and from, from what I've dealt with, I mean, even from just basic stuff from cabinet design to flooring layouts and all that other kind of stuff, nobody has a clue of what they really want. They just see something and go, Oh, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. And then, so then you look at them and go, okay, well, what were you thinking? I don't know, just draw something else up, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, tell me you haven't heard this a hundred times. No, right? but and, the, and, the thing about that is that your pushback on fees for uh, schematic design. It's it. yeah. And it's like, I don't, I don't want to yeah. spend a lot of money on this, but yeah. I want you to do a lot more because I don't know what I want. A hundred percent, right? And so I think the people that end up finding the value is, you know, the, the difference I think that I get to have is I get a lot of repeat business, right? So I start to understand what each builder partner likes. Mm-hmm. And so I can kind of guesstimate, hey, you're not really going to want this here. You're going to want this like this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or whatever it is, as opposed to you kind of, for the most part, are going to get one hit wonders, right? 
yeah. give you a job at a time and, until at some point, you know, you, you land in with some people that are constantly turning stuff. So I get a little bit of an advantage from there because of the repeatability we have with product and, and, and accounts. Um, but you're hundred percent correct. They don't know what it is. They don't really know how to value that time. And to be honest with you in their brain, they don't want to rationalize the value for that time because they don't want to pay you, but they don't want to just tell you, I don't really want to pay you. They want to say, I don't understand that. And you already drew it. So just tweak it. It shouldn't take that long. Right. It's kind of the other thing you get, right? You're laughing, uh-huh. but that's what we're dealing with. So I think the hardest thing is at the beginning is to really try and flush out as much as we can about what they want to see. And then in the sales portion of it, which is essentially what you're doing on that first pitch, going back to them is bring them back into that same conversation. This is what you asked for. You know what I mean? This is not, not bluntly like that. Right. But basically saying, okay, so when you're talking about this, you were describing this. So that's what I did here. They're going to be less apt to shoot down their own idea than they are to shoot down your idea. You follow what I'm saying? It's a lot easier to fight with you than it is to fight with myself. Not a big yeah. fan of that, right? Yeah. So, you know, it becomes a little bit of that, that you have to learn how to do that. Um, and that's only through experience time and time and time again. That's the sales process. And that's why I tell everybody all the time, you need to understand marketing, you need to understand sales because you use it every single day, no matter what you think, right? If you're really in business for your own or you're running that side of a business. Uh, but dude, we run into issues like that all over. I mean, even like on a flooring layout concept, it's pretty basic. You're installing stone. Somebody wants a border. You know, I did a master bath that comes to mind for a, a VIP of ours. Mm-hmm. And I went over it with our installer in all of my years of doing this and all of my installers years of doing it, which is double what I have. We looked at it and said, yeah, this is the right way to lay it out for the space. About two thirds of the way down with it. The partner sees it. It's like, I don't like this cut right here. And I'm like, okay. But that cuts there because of the way this whole thing's laid out. And it's actually laid out on the visual of you walking into the bathroom. But he's looking at the back right corner. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm like, yeah, but if you're going to bury a cut, you want, to, well, this is where I'm going to step into the shower. This is what I'm going to see. I'm like, no, you're going to see it. So it becomes this argument, right? Back <laughs> yeah. and forth. And really what it was is I could have probably alleviated all that if I would have came and said, hey, here's how we're going to lay it out. Hmm. This is what we're going to do. Now, I'm not going to argue with them. And basically, we end up replacing it because it's not worth having a pissing match over all the other business we do with the people. But those are the things that you learn and it makes zero sense to anybody in the industry. Zero. Yeah. Nobody would have done it the way they're asking you to do it. So nobody would even have thought about that, but it's not about how I think about it. And it's not about how our installer thinks about it. It's about what the customer ultimately wants. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I can look at it from the perspective of, I failed there to say, Hey, this would have taken another 20 minutes. Here's how we're going to do this. You good. It's going to give you roughly a smaller cut over here than here and whatever it is, but I didn't do that. So at least yeah. I can reconcile with the fact that I could have played it better and I learned for next time. But that goes right back to your point. It's like, who the hell would have ever thought of that? It makes no sense. It still makes yeah. sense. I've been to that house and I've seen the install and it still pisses me off because it looks <laughs> dumb to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, and, 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 and the funny part is you'd think if, and this is where you'd look at it, if any other architect or whatever walked into this project that you didn't agree with, but your name's on it, you're like... Yeah, but that's what they wanted. Yeah, but it looks dumb. I know, but that's what they wanted. You know what I mean? Like this kind of thing back and forth. But you just, you get in these, it's, it almost becomes an argument at a point because they, they can't see what they want. But then when you show them something, it's very easy. I, I saw this picture one time and it was of these, um, is it like a motivational picture? And it was all these pencils that were all sharp, right? But then there was one dull one, right? And, and like the one that had been used. And it said, it's always easy to appear sharp if you've never done any work. Hmm. And I was like, Oh my God, like that's a lot of, that's a lot of what it is. Right. So you can easily be like, this is what I want. 
And you can easily be like, this is what I always thought I was going to get when you've never done anything before. After you've yeah. already seen the work somebody else did, it's like the ultimate Monday morning quarterback, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, my, my part's different. We do a lot of these things just because it's a business thing. You're doing it because obviously it's your business and that's how you make your money. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to have that argument about back and forth and, and all those other kind of things. Because if you come in saying, Hey, there's going to be three different revisions and you bill for that up front, they're going to say you're too expensive and take the other guy before you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the interesting thing that I wanted to expand on that you mentioned is the hard part about this whole industry is that we've all dealt with going through these processes for years now and have developed some level of experience and yeah, you're working with clients. So I often try to, you know, I tell, explain why I did things a certain way. And like you mentioned, uh, I'm addressing certain things that the client mentioned. So I kind of walk through that whole process and try to paint that picture. But again, like you said, ultimately, they're the ones that are going to have to live there and work there. So whatever they want is what we're, what's going to happen. But the funny thing is, you know, you get a lot of pushback and we'll have to get on this in another episode in a longer conversation specifically to this. But uh, you get a lot of pushback on fees and you're trying to squeeze things in. And often architects shoot themselves in the foot. They fall into the category of overextending and doing work for free, essentially, because they really care about the project and they want to make sure the client's happy. So yeah. they often end up doing things for free uh, and losing out on time and money. But um, ultimately, on the back end, the client's like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. I'm so happy. Uh, I couldn't even value what you gave to me. But you're like, but you were valuing you it are. earlier. <laughs> or devaluing. <laughs> or devaluing it earlier. And yeah. you, there was a specific amount that you wanted to spend. But then on the back end, you're like, I couldn't even say how much I would be willing to spend for what you came up with. Uh, so there's this weird relationship. It's it's, it's hard. And, you know, I've been doing the things that I'm doing in my capacity now for probably 10 years. And I can share with you, there's a recent builder partner we started a, a partnership with. And to be honest with you, I was super excited about, you know, family owned company, been doing things a lot of different ways, just a lot of really good people. And, um, you know, long story short, to your point, ask for more, I conceded, ask for more, I conceded this and that, whatever. And it's been a constant grind and grind and grind and grind. And I can tell you for the first time in 15 years, hmm. I, I told that partner, look, you know what? I'm done. Like, I can't give you this anymore. I'm not doing it anymore for it. You're devaluing everything my team's doing. You know what I mean? Like I'm done. You yeah. know, and they're kind of like, I can't believe it's come to this. I'm like, neither can I. I'm like, so either we find a middle ground on this and here's where I'm willing to go or I will help you transition out. It's the first time in my entire career I've ever even considered doing that. Wow. Because so I think I think everybody's finally got their tipping point. And dude, let's be honest and or I'll be honest. It could be just with everything going on where I'm emotionally like this. Mm -hmm. And that could very well be a part of it. But very rarely does it get there because I think everybody has their threshold of what's enough. And so mm -hmm. if you can see it's like I need this to accomplish this or we want to be able to do this or this fine and you're willing to go to that and and for the most part it probably usually works out okay does it feel great mm -hmm. not necessarily did you get out what you needed or you know your minimum maybe what you hope for probably not but every so often you'll get those two and um so it's it's a hard 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 push because it's a grind and yeah. like let's look at it like i i know i'm a subcontractor i work for a subcontractor you know what i mean mm -hmm. 
And no matter what they do, there's two things that are supposed to happen when you're a subcontractor. You can't ever fail because the, the builder partner will use that against you. I'm, I'm doing kind of a generalized term. And they want it for as cheap as they can possibly get it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to quote, I'm going to quote a, a line from a movie called um, Pool Hall Junkies. Great movie. Christopher Walken was in on a fair saw And there's yeah. a scene where Christopher Walken and the main guy, I don't know who he is, um, were talking and he goes, I figured it out a long time ago. Employers will only pay employees so much as they won't quit. And employees will only work as so much as they won't get fired. Now, fundamentally, that makes sense. Do I really think it's that way? God, I hope not. But I think there's a little bit of that that goes on, right? Like your builder partner or client is trying to negotiate and get things for as cheap as they possibly can or spend the least amount of money on it as they have to. You're trying to negotiate to the other side to get as much money for your service and value your service as you possibly can. And that's going to be in the middle somewhere. You're going to come to an agreement. Nobody's ever going to give you this and you're not ever going to take this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Unless there's some other play behind it. So I thought it was, you know, that's business. Mm-hmm. And so I think the, the thing that I've learned to do is for the most part, has been able to separate for the most part business from me or personal or whatever it is. Right. It's not yeah. that they're devaluing me, even though it feels like it, they're devaluing or they're trying to negotiate from their side to do their job the best they can. Which, mm-hmm. which then I think you can kind of respect that unless it's just completely off the wall, which in this other situation was totally off the wall and not fair. And once it hits that point, I'm like, well, then I don't really want to do business with you anyway. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But, um, and we were able to work it out. You know, we were, yeah. we were able to work it out. And I think sometimes people are going to push only so far as they realize you're about to break. And I was at my point where I'm like, this is it. So it's, it's, um, dude, it's a struggle because nobody understands your job like you do. Right. Otherwise they'd be doing it. And, and, and in fairness for your project, you're not laying out the cash that these guys are laying out to try and make this thing happen. Mm -hmm. So as long as we can try and understand, just like some of the other conversations you and I had that conversation about trying to understand each other's sides, you know what I mean? And come to the middle on that. That's really what we're trying to do as a group. When we get into the room, we start negotiating on projects and design and all those other kind of things, but it's hard to remember that. Yeah. And then one thing I wanted to kind of finish up on is the thought of imposter syndrome. Someone someone mentioned this to me or asked me about it before, but I think that's part of the pre- presentation process of, and delivering a concept to a client. There's this level. Are you familiar with imposter syndrome? I was I was going to ask you to, to, to so, find that. So you? it's essentially uh, this feeling of you are not what you are presented. Gotcha. And you're going to be uh, identified as a fraud of whatever you're doing. Sure. Um, and I think there's a level of that to creative work and service mm-hmm. work in some cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's where the anxiety also comes from in a presentation. And someone asked me about how do you ever get over that? And I wanted to catch your quick thought before you finish. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, I don't think you ever what I said was I don't think you ever get over that. It's always just, I think it's part of human nature. They talked about historically, like when public, the reason you freak out during public speaking is it was also always uh, a scene where you were trying to convince uh, a group to not kill you. <laughs> and uh, it's sort of this instinctual thing of when you're speaking in front of people, you're trying to survive. And I think that's just an instinctual thing when you're presenting and putting yourself out there. It's a stressful situation. I don't think it's every anything that anyone ever really gets over, but it's just a matter of r- kind of convincing yourself to push through and mm-hmm. just deliver it because you're sure. there for a reason. 
and, yeah. and you just get over it, get through the wall and, and just make it happen. Um, that's an interesting topic. I would, I would challenge that you do get over it. Um, and the reason I would say that is because I think there's two things that really weigh in on getting you to that point. I mentioned sales before, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, I always told people it's some of the best training to be in retail where you actually have to work on commission, um, which I don't know how you do that anymore in California, but you work on commission or be in like food service, like a waiter or a waitress, right? Because of this, I think the two things that trumpet are education. And I'm not talking about formal education. It's about understanding what it is you're doing, right? That's an education every single day and being one of the best in your industry and never relying on just who you are and expecting people to lay over for that. Right? So you have the education part of it that starts first. Uh, and the second part is just experience, which is part of the education. So the more you get in there and you get into a room and you feel comfortable about a really being a master at what you do, really being the subject matter you know, expert at what you do, uh, really believing that because you put in the time, those are all confidence builders. That doesn't mean that you're not going to get challenged. But the other thing that I think you got to become comfortable with is when somebody asks you a question, not believing you have to have the answer. Hmm. So, and I, and that's something I struggled with all, up until the last probably four or five years. Yeah. You know what I mean? I thought I had to know it all when I was going in there to, to say it. Not, I didn't know it all, but I was really trying to like pay attention to, to get the information, to understand what they're looking for and nail it. Right. And that's not true because they're going to ask you different things because they don't understand it like you do and you don't understand it like them. So I would also throw in learn psychology and study psychology is super important, which is marketing. And, but what happens is when you go in there and someone asks you a question, there's an unbelievable amount of power and honesty in going in and telling that person, great question. I don't know, but I'll find out and I'll get back to you. And that does two things. One, they know you're not bullshitting them anymore. Mm-hmm. Two, they know you're willing to accept the fact you don't know it all and you're willing to listen to what it is they're looking for. And three, then you're willing to show your follow-up and your ability to come back and give them an answer to something that they were asking you. So it provides those three different things. So I would tell you, educate yourself and become best in class. Just become best in class at what you do, right? And, and work hard on that so you can look in the mirror and know that that's what you do. That's a confidence builder. Two, get out there and do it. You're going to burn. You're going to fail. You're going to do whatever. But even tell them up front, hey, I haven't done this a whole lot, but I'm, you know, here's what I'm looking at, blah, blah, blah. You, people, for the most part, are empathetic, and they're willing to do that. And then three, be willing to say, I don't know. Don't have to have the answer for everything. You need to know the basic stuff, but you can't know what everybody's going to look for every single time and have those notes and see them take down those notes and whatever it is, whether it's on your phone or people love people writing stuff down on pen and paper. So I think when you do those things, it will grow that you're not somebody that doesn't care and only thinks what your concept is, is right. It'll grow to people understanding that you're about their needs. And so I think that imposter syndrome starts to go away. The only reason why I think there's imposter syndrome is because you, you actually feel like you're an imposter. You're trying to be something you're not, which is the first failure step you're going to find. So if anybody ever calls me out, go, I can't believe you don't know that. I'm like, yeah, solid point. What are you going to say now? <laughs> I mean, what are they going to do? I'm not going to fight it. It's wrong. Here's what we can do to fix it. They're not going to yell at me anymore. Mm-hmm. They're really not. You know what I mean? And, and they realize also too, I'm earning their respect because I'm not saying, no, you're wrong. Like this is how it's supposed to be when clearly that shouldn't be how it is. So yeah. I think you do those things and you're good. The people that are afraid of imposter syndrome, I think are the ones that haven't been willing to do those three things or at least a couple of those three things and feel like mm-hmm. they have to have that. Uh, I agree. I agree with everything you said, but I don't, Stop there, then. <laughs> but I don't know that, uh, 
I don't I don't agree that uh, imposter syndrome is simply that you haven't done those things. I think it's sort of something that's inside of just nerves, which is if you don't have the nerves, more often than not, you don't care. And I think if you really care, you have those nerves. And sometimes that leads to I really want to reach these high levels and it's like, I don't know if I can reach those high levels yet, or I don't know if I've reached or if I can reach those high levels, but I have high expectations um, of delivering something that's flawless. And like you said, it's very difficult to be flawless and you don't know everything, but. But I think that goes back to one of the main points. I would say that person that you're describing at this point doesn't have a lot of experience in doing it yet. Let's pick this up another time because right. we're running super long. <laughs> All right, all right, whatever you say. So <laughs> we'll cut for today. We'll we'll pick back up on imposter syndrome some other time, maybe cool. in our next uh, Tuesday episode. Sounds but uh, for now, we will call this and then chat with you on Thursday. Thank you for joining us. See you guys. This show is part of the Gable Media Network. You can check out similar content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. You can help support what we're doing here by leaving a five-star rating and a review on your preferred podcasting app. It helps others find us, and your support is the only way that this show grows. And don't forget to connect with us through our Facebook community, Instagram, and see the random thoughts and articles that we share on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you again for spending some time with us. Talk soon. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK, the three of us 
took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.